We're in our second week of John chapter 17. Uh, I spoke last week on the, uh, the essential uh, need for us to be, to be grounded in God's love and to experience the love. This is what Jesus prays for us on, the, on his last night on earth. He's praying that we would experience the same love that he experiences from his Father, that he's experienced for all eternity, that we would enter into that and enjoy it together with him. And this week we're going to be talking about how Jesus prays for our, our oneness together, our unity as believers in Jesus, as followers of his. Um, I'm in the process of, of leaving Facebook. It's, it's a long and complicated um, journey. Um, some of you have left. Who's left Facebook, actually? Say, oh, wow. Like, like properly left, not like just don't have it on your phone. Okay, yeah, properly left. Like, so you basically don't exist uh, in the world anymore. I'm here looking forward to that kind of status. I've got a friend on Facebook. Uh, she doesn't listen to these sermons, and we have no mutual friends. I checked all of this before, uh, so you can't find out who this person is. She has a saying um, that it winds me up a little bit. Maybe you use the saying, and that's cool for you. Power to you. Every time she's out with any of her friends... It's like this hashtag long thing. Um, it's just find your tribe and love them hard. That, that's a, every time they go anywhere, they're out for coffee with somebody, you know, they're away for a weekend, hashtag find your tribe and love them hard. And I'm always feeling like I never get invited to anything. I'm not like part of the tribe. I'm not getting loved hard by any, like I'm just like, I feel like this is a bit like... Basically telling the rest of your Facebook family to get lost because they don't make it into the... They're not getting tagged on anything. Find your tribe and love them hard. Every single post. And some people live life like that. Like that's their tribe. You know, they've, they've sort of identified these are, your, these, these are your people and you're going to love them hard. And I realize we all have limited capacity for deep relationships we all have limited, I'm going to say this again, we have limited capacity for deep relationships. You can't be at the same depth of relationship with everybody. But the wonder of being part of a church is what we're going to see today. Well, God does something different in the church than he does in any other kind of tribe or collection or group or committee or club or whatever. The church is this unique, wonderful creation of God. And I pray that today we would feel encouraged and spurred on not to find our tribe. In some ways, if you hear this is your tribe in a weird kind of a way, maybe you didn't choose it so much. God chose you to be part of his global tribe, if we want to use that word. And you're part of one church. And this is a part of that one church that meets in this location. And yet we're part of something so much bigger. And I hope that we'll have our eyes open to see some, <clears throat> something more of the wonder and the, and the beauty of the unity of the global church this morning. When Jesus is praying for us, praying for our unity, there's two main things that he focuses on here, and that's all we're going to really look at is two uh, broad points. The first is that he prays that our unity would be protected. He prays that our, our unity, our oneness, would be protected. Have a look in verse 11. Um, where last week we read the whole prayer, and we won't do the whole thing again this week. But in verse 11, he's praying, he says, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. There's one thing just to bang quickly now that Jesus references this a couple times. 
all of our unity is based on the unity in the Trinity. He, is, he always says, I want them to be one as we are one. Every time he says anything to do with our oneness, it's always modeled on the oneness of the Trinity. And so we almost need to start there and say, like, well, let your mind wander and think and search the scriptures. What is the oneness of the Trinity like? The togetherness of God for all eternity. The Trinity have never had an argument amongst themselves. It's not like there's any competing egos or anything. There's just this deferring love and unity. It's something that we can't get our heads around and we will look into it for all eternity. This glorious unity of the Trinity. But all of ours is modeled on and dependent on the unity that's in the Trinity. The first thing Jesus prays is that our unity would be protected. Protect them by your name, that they may be one as we are one. What are some of the things that could come against our unity? Why does Jesus, on the last night that he's alive, feel the need for us to have recorded in the scriptures his prayer that we would be one? And if we would all just automatically get along, the Son of God wouldn't have to have prayed for our unity. If you've spent any time in a church, any time even hearing about churches, you'll know that the church is not the most united um, body on the planet. I've lost track, and I didn't even bother to Google the research. The last I heard is that there were north of like three or 4,000 different church denominations in the world. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of disagreement. You know, why can't we all just get along? Well, it's because we're humans. We're going to dive into why we don't all get along. First thing that could divide us and I know that I don't want to terrify you here, but is, is Satan. Satan and the forces, the demonic forces that oppose God seek to divide Christians and get in amongst churches and believers and separate them. It's like a full-time job of the evil one to do that. Have a look, it's there in verse 15. Jesus says, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world. He's not he's praying for us. He's not, I'm praying that, not praying that you would take them out of the world, but you would protect them from the evil one. You're not getting you know, evacuated. When you become a believer, everything is going to go fine. He says, no, no, they're in the world. They're not of the world. Just like I'm not of the world, I'm going to leave them there. But I pray that you would protect them from the evil one while they're there. And he's praying for our protection against the forces of Satan that would come against every believer and against every church to try and get in and just separate them, pop them apart from each other, disrupt the unity that God has intended for all of his children to join in and enjoy and participate in. Satan and his demons. And I love that picture. I don't think this is a one-off prayer of Jesus's. I think he lives now to intercede for his church. And I think this prayer, as it were, is still on his lips. May they be one as we are one. May they be one as we are one. Three, four thousand denominations. May they be one as we are one. You know, you can have different denominations. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can still be united. Unity is not uniformity. One of the one of the coolest things I got to do was 20 years ago. And I was like, when I was suddenly thinking through the memory, I was like, it was really 20 years ago? Um, we got to go to Amsterdam for a big Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a big evangelist, if you, if you don't know who, who he was. But uh, he had an organization, a Billy Graham organization, and they 
called a worldwide meeting of Christian leaders. I don't know how I ended up getting there. Um, I, wasn't, I was like the youth pastor at the church. I sort of tagged on to somebody else's invitation and rolled into this thing in Amsterdam. I think there were 180 plus countries represented at this thing. You're walking around in the expo thing, and it was like there were people dressed in things, speaking every different language. It felt like a taste of heaven. It was overwhelming. Most of the sessions were in English, but there was all this muttering you could hear as people were translating into tens and hundreds of languages, uh, and we were all singing together and worshiping. It felt like a taste of heaven. And all there to worship Jesus and to celebrate what unites us, not, not discuss what divides us. Satan gets in and wants every nation and every little nuance to go their own way. Every preference, all of this. Like I said, it's a full-time job. And we as churches and individuals need to be mindful of what role is he playing and how are we aiding his work to divide the church it's not only we can't all lay the, all the blame on, on Satan. Say, like, it's Satan's fault. The church is not united. We ourselves have our own preferences. We like our own way. We're all like that. And I think, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, the older you get, the more you like your own way. You just get settled and you just get, like your toothbrush goes there. Now, some of you are renegades and you put your toothbrush in different places every day. I don't know how you make it through the week, but it's cool. Like the older I'm getting, like that toothbrush lives there. It's like the kids have moved it. I'm like, which of you children wants to be sold? My toothbrush lives there. Like you mess with the toothbrush, you're gone. You know, I'm getting old and I'm getting stuck in my ways in some things. I hope I'm still flexible in a couple of the areas. Uh, we all love our own things. We have our own preferences. Some of you will come here and say, the music's too loud, music's too soft. Where's the drummer? This place needs drums. Next week, other people come and say, thank God there's no drummer in this church. Whew, drummer's back the next week. Oh, oh. You know, we all have our little things. Some of you want to sing hymns the whole morning. Some of you just want to, you know, like, I don't know, bring flags and wave them around. And We're well, not really that kind of a vibe here, but I mean, if you want to do that, just do it at the back there. Um, <laughs> The oaks can't see the words. That's the main problem if you're waving the flags in the front. And Pete will join you because uh, Pete's bent. You know, we can, we can expand on this and <laughs> dig into a few other areas. Just stay with this for a couple of minutes. Churches can become fragmented along so many different little things. Along age. I was talking about that earlier. Every generation thinks that they, you know, you find some churches where it's like, well, we're the generation that's coming through. The baton's been handed to us and it's ours to run. And the old guys, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. And now we've got a new vibe and whatever else. We're throwing away the old things and we're going on. You know, our generation's definitely better. Well, you get the old guys and it's like, well, back when we, you know, were, you know, we know what's going on and we've walked with the Lord and if we just did everything the way we did in our generation, we really take God seriously and whatever else it is. And you've got generations at war within the kingdom of God and it's nonsense. It's against the heart of God. Churches get divided along racial lines. This is a massive thing still in South Africa and around the world. Sometimes I think somebody once said it's the most segregated hour in America it's between 10 and 11. They, they start church late. 
America. Between 10 and 11, it's the most segregated hour in America where everyone goes to church just with their own races. And it's like a miracle of God when you see churches that are mixed. Everyone thinks my, my race is better, so I'm going to hang out with my race and worship with my race in my language. It's better. And every race is complicit in this, I should say. It's not just like the whiteies are racist. I think any race you could be, you could think that your race is preferable and you only want to worship with people who look and sound like you. And something in the heart of God that you see in Revelation, the picture there, God wants to borrow some of that for us now. I say, I want the room to look a bit more mixed up than just you. If you're just worshiping with people who just look like you, it's not off sides, but you're robbing yourself completely of some of the wonder and the joy that God has put into the different races and cultures of the earth. Social standing, your class, I'm wealthy. My social standing is better. I contribute to this place. I give to this church. I'm not a freeloader. Not like the students who just rock up and drink the coffee. I actually, you know, my social standing, I'm educated. You know, Paul addresses that in some of his letters. His preference is given, front row seating. You know, that's not a preference anymore. I don't think in any church, no one ever wants to sit in the front, but some churches like special seats for certain people. I went to one church in the, in the States years ago where there, there were special chairs um, on the stage for the elders and the deacons. Like, like fancy chairs, not like these Hong Kong plastic, like, like lazy boy kind of vibes, you know? And the dudes like sat through the whole service, like in these like super plush, like stair like next level seats. And I was like, all the other regular garden variety believers that are chilling, like plastic things like this. And I was like, what message are you sending here? This is just bizarre. It's unbiblical. You know, social stand, we've got preferences there. And that can just, just get in, just get in and divide. Wealth, poverty. Christians are weird. You can think that you're a more meaningful member of the kingdom of God because you have more money. You can think you're a more meaningful member of the, of the Christian community because you have less money. You're poor like Jesus was poor. I meet people like this. There's like a theology of poverty. I go without. I suffer. I identify more with Jesus. You wealthy guys, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that. He didn't say that. You know, you get, we can lose our way. And Christians just go to war over these things. Theological issues. I've been reading a lot of church history lately. My gosh. The church over the centuries, over the millennia, gone to war over theological things. And let me say this quickly. I am not saying that we shouldn't really contend for the big things. Okay, for the big things, we should be willing to fight. If you're going to roll in here and you're going to deny the authority of the word of God... And the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is and claim to be a Christian. Look, if you're still on a journey and you're not a Christian, you, you, that's a different conversation. Okay, You're still asking questions if you're going out. But if you're saying, I'm a Christian, yeah, but I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't think Jesus is the son of God. Look, we're not going to get along. We're not, because you're wrong. <laughs> because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The son of God died on a cross. It's a big deal. Our whole faith is tethered to that. We're not just going to have this one world religion where everyone... Well, I don't know why I'm doing that with... <laughs> sorry. I'm glad we don't video these things. That was disturbing. I meant to just do my hands. If you're listening on the podcast, just thank the Lord that you've got the podcast. That we all just get along. 
I'll give you all a, a minute to recover quickly. If you didn't see it, in... there is a push. There is a push around the world. Why can't all the Christians just get along? Don't worry about the theological things. Let's just. Jesus was all about love. Jesus was all about love and unity. So let's just don't keep beating the theological drum. Let's just all just get along. And and that's true, but it's only true to a degree. When you start denying the big closed-handed issues of the faith, you break fellowship with God's church. But there is a lot of space where we can have open-handed things and disagree and still get along. How many of you grew up Presbyterian? Really? Okay. Any others? I mean, it's not an embarrassing kind of thing. You can stick your hand up like loud and proud. Some of our best friends, some of the people who've had the most impact on my life are Presbyterians. You know what? I hope I never go to another Presbyterian baptism in my life again. That whole sprinkling deal. I'm just like, huh? I read my Bible, sploosh. I'm like, no, nah, dudes, I think, I think they've got it wrong. And, but is it reason for us to break fellowship with Presbyterians because they baptize in a different way? Of course not. We're not going to do it here. When you get baptized here, like Pete was saying, you're going to go fully under and come up. We're not sprinkling anything. You get sprinkled as a bystander, you know, here. But we're not breaking fellowship with the Presbyterians. And when we get to heaven, we can baptize them properly, and then we can all just get along for all, e- for all eternity. And it's going to be fun. Now that I've offended all the Presbyterians in the, in the room, they will forgive me. Different expressions of worship can divide us. I spoke about some of that stuff. I, I pray that God would give us here at Parkhurst, a, 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 a greater desire and capacity to stretch ourselves. To stretch ourselves, to realize, let's incorporate a bit of this and a bit of this. Some silence. Some public reading of the scriptures. Some liturgical stuff. Some clapping. Some singing in a language that stretches you. I just want to put that out there. That if you're going to stick around here, we're going to sing in different languages. If that makes you super uncomfortable, may God bless you as you continue your search for a church. Because we're not just going to sing in English. We don't want to do that. Not in this country, not in this vibe. We're robbing ourselves of the richness of it. We want to stretch ourselves. I want to encourage you to stretch yourself a bit. You, you grow in, in, in uncomfortable places. You grow in uncomfortable places. And it would be a reason that we would be able to celebrate what makes us different and unites us rather than divides us. These are opportunities that can divide us, but instead I think through the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, they can actually make us stronger. There's a greater strength that comes to us. Another thing that divides us is that people get offended and we harbor unforgiveness. If you have not been offended in a church, you haven't been around it long enough. You're going to get upset. Someone's going to offend you. You're going to have an, and, and in this space there's legitimate and illusionary offenses. So we're going to sin against each other because we're not perfect people. I'm going to sin against you as a pastor, as a lead elder of this church. I will, hopefully not as a matter of regular practice, but I'm going to do things that disappoint you or sin against you. And you're going to have to forgive me and we're going to have to confess and reconcile and repent and we're going to have to do that with each other that's what it means to be part of a body 
And when you don't deal with it, unforgiveness just lingers and it causes the little cracks to open up in a church body. And some of you are at this church because your previous church, something went down and it was easier just to leave than to reconcile. And we understand how that works, but I want to encourage you and press you and press us as a body to say, we don't want to be people who harbor offense and unforgiveness. I spoke about the illusion of offense. Make sure that what you are you know, dealing with with people is actually a real thing. Christians get nose out of joint because you, know, you came to church and somebody didn't greet you, but maybe they were distracted or something. You know, they were, their head was in, the, the screensaver was on. They were looking at you, but you know, there wasn't, they loud. Why is we all touching? They hadn't had any coffee yet. And you go home thinking, oh, I don't know what I did to that person. I've always been so friendly to them and they just stared at me and straight through me. It must be, ooh, you know, and then you get into the whole thing. I mean, some of the most heated arguments I've ever had has been in my own head. You know, I'm giving myself blazers or giving somebody else. Maybe, I'm, maybe it's just me and you guys don't do that. I need to go see somebody. But um, the illusion of offense. We need to be careful to, to watch the soil of our hearts that we have very, very short accounts with each other. Because that's where... Things can go pear-shaped in a church where we're offended. Hold on to our unforgiveness. All of these things come out of the soil of pride. My, 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 my. And if pride is the cause, then humility is the cure. Have a look with me at Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. Paul speaking to them. In Philippine, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Imagine that kind of a church. It should be our prayer that God make us a people like this. Look at it. Like, think the same way, have the same love, united in spirit, same purpose. We're together. We're going, and, and not just that, that we have a common love and purpose and spirit, but when we think about each other, We prefer each other's needs. We, in humility, consider others better, more important than yourself. I just want to say that this is a miracle of the work of the Spirit of God. This is not your default setting to think more of somebody else than yourself. Okay, Most of us, we love ourselves. It's very easy to think highly of yourself. It's a wonderful, transforming work of the Spirit of God that you would prefer others. And not just, it's not that your needs go nowhere. You also look into your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When this happens in a church, what you've got is a group of people who are all looking out for each other. I'm looking out for Murray. Murray's looking out for me. I'm watching out for Luke. Luke's watching out for me. It's got my back. That's why we have community groups. Because on a Sunday, this is a bit big. I mean, there's some of you I'm looking at. I've never met some of you. 
I, I, I can't be involved in everyone's life. We can't all be involved in everyone's life. Who is your community? Who's your tribe? Who's the smaller community within the larger community where you're known and loved and you can get really in there and you can actively do these things? You can prefer each other's needs above your own. You can walk in humility that goes against our pride. God needs to do this work in us. In the previous chapter of Philippians, Paul says this just one thing from verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when there I come to see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. This is my prayer for us at Parkhurst. That people would whether they hear or whether they hear about us, they would hear those people contend together for the faith of the gospel. They, they are one, those guys. There's no divisions amongst them. There's not a whole bunch of people. You talk about it, and Paul talks about this. He says there's people who prefer their own preacher. You know, they've got a tribe of people following uh, Pete and a tribe following Quint and a tribe following Doug and, and the others who, who follow Jesus, you know. That happens in churches. People get all weird and stuff. They say, well, that's my preference. I understand people have preferences and stuff, but are we together? Grounded on the same mission. Our eyes are not on people. Our eyes are on Jesus. It's that unity of the Trinity that our unity is modeled on. And the unity of the Trinity is modeled on a glory and a wonder within itself. The focus is on God, not on the humans. And our unity should be a focus on God, not on each other. My prayer for us is that a banner over us would be that we think the best of each other. That we think the best of each other. Think of how quickly you have options when something happens. You have options to think different things, to interpret events, comments, looks, offenses, whatever else. You have options of how to interpret. If you start by thinking the best of each other, it, it, it undoes and it sucks a lot of the power out of our offenses, out of our hurts. I'm not saying we should all just walk around high-fiving each other and pretending that everything is schmoozy and lacquer here. When there's stuff, we need to deal with it. Because you get to oneness and you get to unity sometimes by having hard conversations. But if our hard position is to think the best of each other, God does something wonderful. We're going to read a passage later. God does something wonderful when his people are united together. The second thing that Jesus prays is that our witness, that our oneness would be a witness to the world. Our oneness would be a witness to the world. Have a look at verse 21 there. He prays, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23, I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me, And I've loved them as you have loved me. Uh, There's a progression here. Um, Follow this with me. As a believer, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the truth of Scripture makes God comes and he, he, He resides in you by the Holy Spirit. What you get there is not just the Holy Spirit. You get the Trinity indwelling you. Because the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Father sends the Spirit. You are indwelt by God. And as that happens, your whole life is transformed. 
affections change, your preferences, everything. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's quicker. But you change. You're a believer in Jesus. You have been given the same spirit. Everyone gets the same spirit. Not like some people get this kind of spirit. That you, there's only one Holy Spirit who you receive, and that's what unites us together. And as we have that and our unity, it, as we function together as a church, it's a sign to the world. That's what Jesus is praying. I'm going to be in them. You're going to be in me. I'm going to be in them. And may our being in them convince the world that Jesus is who he says he is. The converse, think of it in the converse. The world looks at the church and thinks, you guys, you guys make all the song and dance about Jesus and the indwelling spirit and the unity kind of thing. Look at you, Oaks. You can't get along for love or money. Not very convincing argument. Thanks, I'm done. I'll go hang out with some other people who are a bit more gracious. This unity in the church has a devastating effect on the church's witness in the world. That's why Jesus prays for our oneness that we would be a witness to the reality of who Jesus is and to the fact that he loves them. Like the Father loves them. Like he's loved the Son. Further to this, have a look in verse 22. Jesus prays something that is astounding. He says in verse 22, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. In order to be one, God has given you glory. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a glory recipient. Now, there are at least eight different interpretations of what that verse actually means. I think it means this. I don't think it means other types of glory because Jesus is talking later. He says, I want these guys to be with me in heaven so that they can see the glory I had with you since before the foundations of the world. I don't think it's the same glory. You haven't been given the glory that exists and is uniquely God's alone. I think the glory that we've received is the indwelling presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, as he comes, as the God-man amongst us, Luke says it again and again, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit went there. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit went there. Jesus' earthly life was powered by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There was something that he needed as a God-man. He's eternally been with God. He didn't need the Holy Spirit. He comes in human form and he needs the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That, so that he can know God and and serve him. And that's what you get filled with. You get filled with the Spirit so you can know God. How else will you know him? How else will you enjoy him? It's through the work of the Spirit, the glory that you receive. And it's a glory, the glory of knowing God. Just sit and think for one minute that God in his kindness has given you the ability to know him. The ability to know him and experience him. You didn't deserve it. Didn't deserve it at all. And yet you can know God. What on earth? That's amazing. It should just slow your whole day down. And you should go and sit somewhere in a quiet room for a while and be like, Wow, God, that you would give me that kind of a glory that I can know you. Know the God who, who created everything you can see and millions more of things that we haven't yet discovered comes to reside in you. It's, it's beyond comprehension. 
receive glory. And the glory is a means to our unity. Because you can't be united unless you have a spirit that wants to unite us and help us to overcome our selfishness and our own preferences. Yeah. Speak here quickly. If you are still on the journey or the road to figuring out Christianity, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian here. This is your first stop. Because this is a gift that comes to people who place their faith in Jesus. They believe Jesus is who he says he is. They recognize their need for a savior. And this is what happens. You place faith in Jesus. And it's not just like, I hope this is going to work out. I don't know if I can do this. I don't think I'm going to be a very good Christian. I don't want to stop doing all the stuff I've been doing. I just want to keep doing. Like That's not how it works. Because God gets into you. God gets, and he does all the hardest work that you can't, that you're incapable of doing. God gets in and begins a renovation of your life. But that starts through placing all your faith in Jesus and realizing that you're bankrupt without him. You've nothing without him. That is a work that God does in opening up your eyes, and I pray that he does that for some of us this morning. What happens when we get distracted and when disunity creeps in? Well, it works that Jesus' prayer almost remains unfulfilled. That we, we don't focus on the world outside. We're so focused inside. We're shooting each other. We're at war with one another. We're mm, sulking in our offense and harboring our unforgiveness. And churches get derailed by that. And the mission of God goes unfulfilled. Both in, let me say, both in the parks area and to the very furthest corners of the world. If Satan can just get a church focused on its own internal problems, the task of world evangelism, evangelization, will remain incomplete. Because churches are just so worried about their internal squabbles that they forget that there are unreached people groups who still need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. It's an easy job. Because Christians are so susceptible at just getting wound up and looking inwards instead of outwards. That's God's design for his church. So as we close, let's talk about ourselves here at Parkhurst a bit. There are between 40 and 50 one another verses in the scriptures in the, in the New Testament. Love one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another, wash each other's feet. We can leave that one out for now, but um, it's a cultural thing. I'm always a bit freaked out by people who still wash feet as a sign of like humility. I'm like, anyway, that's just a small issue I have about washing feet. There's 40 to 50 of those verses. My question is, how, how do we obediently um, fulfill those commands if you're not in any meaningful community? Who are you going to bear with if there's no one to bear with? Who are you going to love and be patient with and encourage if there's no one that you are close enough to encourage that you know they need encouragement? Who are you going to forgive if you're not close enough to people to be offended by them? In order to be a faithful, biblically obedient Christian, you need to be in some meaningful community. And I know that people will push back on this. There are lots of reasons why not, but I think as I've spent lots of time in the scriptures examining my own heart, community is hard, guys. It's tough. It's tough to make the commitment to lean in to a group of people week in and week out, journey with them. 
when you're tired, work's stressful, now you have to go and hang out at a community group. You know, it's like, oh, or you have to host it. Now I'm being very honest with all of you, you guys. You know, sometimes the Oaks rock up at our house and Claire and I have had a week from hell. We've got sick children, whatever else, and our house is getting invaded by 20 students who we love. <laughs> I genuinely, I'm not adding that on. They know that we love them. And they see all the chaos of the fell house. But some days it's harder to have people in your home and in your space. All you want is just to chill. But the call of the gospel is that we enter into each other's lives and guys rock up in our house and say, how, how are you doing? And we don't have to be, awesome, so happy you're here. We just be like, yes, we're having the week from hell. Grab, make your own tea, and then they come, let's sit down, and let's pray, and let's talk together. That's what Christian community is about. It's not everyone putting their best foot forward. It's really living your life together with others. And there's, there's an amazing thing that happens there when you commit and you dive in to that. Is it hard? Sure. Does it cost? Yes. Do you have to say no to other things? Of course you do. Is it a picture of heaven? Absolutely. And will it change you without a doubt? We're going to celebrate communion together as a body. Before we do that, I want to touch on one verse. Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 4 from verse 1, he says, Therefore I... The prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of, pre, bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. It's an amazing passage. One of the things in there, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I just want to ask you the question, have you made every effort, every effort, as you look around this church, as you think about this church, have you made every effort, are you at peace in this body? Harboring anything? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Be careful that no, you don't allow any bitter root to spring up amongst you. It's so easy, guys. It's so easy to allow those little things, this little root of bitterness to pop up and not to, not to deal with it. And as we head into communion, I want to press you and encourage you to say, just search your own heart and say, is everything good with the, the people that you call church and family here? Maybe it's your first time here and you're thinking, this doesn't really apply to me. But there'll be others. If you're a believer, there's other believers. Everything good with all the Christians that you know. What bitterness are you harboring? Unforgiveness, they deserve it. Yeah, maybe they do. But you've got to release them. You've got to let them go. Killing yourself. You're suffering, suffocating your own soul. You've got to let them go. I'll explain how we're going to do communion, but just close your eyes and listen to this. Psalm 133 says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And sisters live together in harmony. It's like fine oil on the head running down, on the beard running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed 
is blessing. Life forevermore. The picture that you have in Psalm 133 is this. When we live together in unity, you can look at me now. When we live together in unity, it's like how they used to anoint the priest. They would pour oil over his head. Aaron, anointing, consecrating the priest, pour the oil over his head, and he would be wearing a breast, breastplate that had the 12 stones of the 12 tribes, and he would be covered. This oil would run down all over the representation of the nation. And it says God commands his blessing where his people are united. God sends on them his blessing. It's life in all of its fullness. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church like that. I want us to just have anointing oil, as it were, rushing all over us and experience life forevermore. Some of that means you need to uproot some of the bitterness. You need to make sure you've made every effort. And then we lean with all of our might into the work of the Spirit of God who's indwelt us to make us a, a one family that a watching world looks at and says, God must be amongst those people. Jesus is alive. Look at what he's done with that crowd at Parkhurst. They wouldn't naturally get along, but he's done something with those people. And when you're amongst them, when you come to a service, when you're in the different gatherings, the Spirit of God is there. They are together, one heart. They're one family. They share in one and the same Spirit. That's the kind of church I long for us to be. And as we share communion, I want us to do this slightly differently to how we normally do. Communion is not actually meant to be you running and grabbing a wafer and a juice and like just chilling on your ice there. Like there's times to think and pray and be alone before the Lord, but it's meant to normally be a bit more chaotic than that. And I think we're going to start to wind up the chaos of communion a bit more uh, as we go because that's what you see. That's, it's a more robust picture of what God's done. So I want to encourage you today to get the elements of communion. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and you're here, like no one's going to look at you weird if you don't take communion. People skip communion for a million different reasons. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you not to take communion. And don't worry, no one's going to look at you all weird. Okay? It's going to be 100% cool. But those who are believers, take and find somebody else. Find some other people. Let's get groups going all over this place. We're going to close the service out with communion. Get together. Like, don't make the group 10. Like smaller groups. And just pray. You're not like confessing your sins to each other and whatever else. Jesus is the focus of communion. And so let's celebrate him and let's thank him. Let's worship him together and let's eat and drink together. If you want to pray for the people in your group and bless them, do whatever you want. I mean, don't like make this like another hour long kind of vibe. Like be mindful of people's time. Let's go. But don't just, please don't park off on your own. And don't just be husband and wife. That's like, let's make the circle a bit bigger. Are you, are you with me? Okay, well, this is what we're going to do anyway. And um, I'll be in the front chair if you're looking for somebody. If everyone else gives you the cold shoulder, you can come join my little circle over here. Let me pray for us before we, before we enjoy this together. Lord Jesus, you, you prayed that we would be one as, as you are one with the Father and the Spirit. And that our, our finite human minds can't fully understand, comprehend what that glorious picture looks like in that reality, but we do know something of what it means to be filled with you and we sense that you've given us of the Spirit. And we pray again, um, as a church family, would you pour out your Spirit on us again this morning? 
just like that anointing oil, just washing over us, sending your blessing, life evermore over us. And pray that you'd give us grace this morning to be searching our own hearts, that you would search us by the Spirit and help us to root out any bitter roots that have taken root in us, any, anything where we have been less than willing to make every effort to preserve unity, the bond of peace, that you'd shine a light on those things and, and give us grace to ask for forgiveness and to repent and to reconcile. And that as now, as we enjoy um, these elements, these graces given to us of bread and, 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 and juice that symbolize the body and, and blood of Jesus given for us, that, that our joy would be, our joy would rise as we turn our eyes to you and celebrate the fact that we're brothers and sisters in you. We're an eternal family, your wonderful creation. And we pray that you'd be knitting our hearts together in new ways today. Come and pour out your joy on us now as we celebrate you. Our eyes are turned to you, our hearts are on you. We pray that you come and strengthen us. Give us great joy as a family now. In Jesus' name.